Uh, we've been in John now for a few weeks. Uh, we've had a couple sermons in John 6, starting uh, with feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. Uh, then we had uh, the passage of Jesus teaching the crowd who had come to him. And now we have the final 12 verses uh, from verse 60 to 71. Uh, Jesus talking to some of his disciples. This is John 6, 60 to 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Amen. Mike highlighted the verse that I think is key to our passage, verse 68. Simon Peter saying to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. These words of eternal life that Simon Peter is talking about are words that on Monday morning were heard by billions across the globe. At the Queen's funeral, we saw, uh, we heard scriptures read from 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus has defeated death and that the sting of death is gone. We heard sung and, and maybe sung along some beautiful words pointing to uh, a picture one day of casting our crowns before the King of Kings. We heard uh, the Archbishop Justin Welby look forward uh, to a day where we will meet again. The queen had so many reasons to have a funeral service littered with words of other things. Words of her power, her wealth, her majesty. And yet she chose to have her funeral service abounding in words of eternal life. Those other things, power, wealth, and majesty, so many of those were on display across the day. And so many of those are things that we all long and strive for. Many of us, if we wanted to, uh, to look back on our lives when we are older, would want to be able to tell stories of the amazing things we got to do. We'll want to earn all the money. We want to have that status and power. The queen had it all. But the words in her life that counted the most that she wanted shared after she died were the words of eternal life found only in Jesus. And after billions heard such beautiful words on Monday, 
They might not put it in this language, but many have already rejected them. It's the case from Monday, and it's the case in our story in John today. Jesus has just given many words of eternal life. Jesus will go on to give many words of eternal life. But for some who hear their response rather than adoration and worship and acceptance is to reject them and to walk away. Now we see this in our passage today. We see it in the passage uh, that was preached on a couple weeks ago. Uh, So as Jesus has been teaching the disciples, not just the 12, but a larger crowd of people who either had just started following him or followed him for a little while. As he's teaching them, uh, we see in verse 41 of the passage uh, that the Jews grumbled about him. Uh, We see in verse 52, Jesus Jesus' teaching causes them to dispute among themselves. And then in verse 60, the start of our reading today, they say, uh, it says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, on the face of it, I guess, particularly as we uh, read all these passages with Christian eyes, we look at the teaching Jesus gives, and we probably just look at it and think, yeah, this is a wonderful teaching. Jesus, in these verses uh, before what we read today, says some really wonderful things about who he is, declaring that he is the Son of Man, the one who has come from heaven, declaring that he and he alone is the one who is able to give life. And so we might ask, well, wasn't this a good teaching? Why would they find it so hard to accept this teaching? The two main things that they seem to dispute and hate about the teaching are the claims that Jesus talks about in verse 61 and 62, or and 63. He quashes their worry about him being the son of man and that it is he who gives life. And now the crowd that would have been listening uh, would have been excited to hear about the Son of Man. They have an impression of what the Son of Man will be like, but their impression did not match up to the one who was before them claiming to be the Son of Man. Uh, So Jesus uh, claims to be the Son of Man. He does it most explicitly in 53. He says to the crowd, I am the Son of Man. And they find that a hard teaching to accept. Their expectations of the Son of Man were so different to what actually appeared before them. So their expectations will have come mostly uh, from a passage in Daniel 7, and it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, This is Daniel 7, 13 to 15. As they hear of Jesus, the Son of Man, this is what they would have had in mind. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. That picture we get painted in Daniel 7, a true and glorious picture of the Son of Man, tells of majesty, of victory, and of power. That's the expectation they would have had. But before them, teaching them, they have a man there who at that time had no home, had no job. The Bible says there was nothing attractive in him. To their eyes, he would have looked to the complete opposite of this picture of the Son of Man that they had come to expect. 
And so they said, no, this is, this is too hard for us to accept. We can't say that that same Son of Man that's going to come on the clouds in victory is the same Son of Man standing before us. They look at Jesus and are disappointed with what they see. I wonder as we consider ourselves, no matter where you are on the, the spectrum of following or loving Jesus, There may be times that we look at who he is and we just feel a little disappointed. Or as Mike shared earlier, we might look at things in the world and be tempted to blame God for them. We have this picture of a wonderful and a loving God, a powerful God who is only doing good things. And we look at what we think he's doing and we can come away feeling flat and low and disappointed because what we see doesn't quite measure up to what we would like. We often just want Jesus uh, to give us those victory over all things. And when that sickness doesn't seem to go away, we become disappointed because this Jesus we were hoping in doesn't seem to deliver what we hoped. Maybe we feel often disappointed with Jesus. It's probably even easier uh, to feel disappointed with Jesus' body, the church. Because while Jesus is perfect, so maybe we can uh, muster up in ourselves enough uh, love for him. The church is certainly not perfect. This church is certainly not perfect. And so we might feel that temptation as we gather here to think, oh, I wonder what's going on in that other church in town. Their music might be a little better. Their preaching might be a whole lot better. They might have more people. It might be a bigger occasion. Those churches might seem to be doing so much more than us. God might seem to be favoring those churches more than us. And so we could be tempted to look at our church with really high hopes, but just come away disappointed. But the power of the church is not in how well it performs in these things. The power of the church is not in how good our singing is or our preaching is or anything else is. The power of the church is that Jesus Christ is in the church, that he is the one who is Lord of the church. So while they were disappointed because this son of man did not seem so glorious to them, we may be disappointed that the church doesn't seem so wonderful to us, but I can guarantee you that Jesus is Lord of this church. And that no matter how slickly it is presented, it is Jesus who holds the power that it is Jesus who is bringing people to new life through this church, that it is Jesus who is bringing his people to their knees in this church, that Jesus will continue to do wonderful things as he builds this church. Not because we make it so special, but because Jesus is a wonderful and glorious God. And he uses the weak to shame the strong. Uh, there was a German theologian in the, around the turn of the 20th century, as in over 100 years ago, not like 20 years ago, uh, called Rudolf Boltman. Has anybody heard of him? Okay, uh, I've seen one nod, but that kind of proves my point. Uh, so his whole idea uh, was that he was going to uh, contemporize the Christian message. Uh, he saw, uh, after the Age of Enlightenment and all that, that the message that the Christian church proclaimed was way too hard for people to believe. They were asked to believe uh, all these sorts of fantasy things about miracles and all that, and it was too difficult. So what he sought to do was rid the message of the gospel of all these things that might be hard to believe. 
and so he would do away with miracles. He said, well, they're not that important, and they're hard to believe, so we'll forget about these. He even went as far to question whether we actually need the resurrection of Jesus in our gospel message. He thought, hey, I need to make this message more relevant to make it more powerful to the world I am preaching it to. And it obviously didn't work. The fact that we haven't heard of him means that he was pretty unsuccessful. People did not think, oh, this new message he has is the powerful one that we're going to accept. To the world out there, the message of the Christian hope is not that flashy or powerful. To many, it is complete foolishness. To believe that we have a hope based on the Son of God dying and rising again. It won't meet their expectations when we share it with them. But it is powerful because it is the true message of Jesus. It is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And whether we share it with nervousness or strength, Jesus will use it. Because the true Jesus is the one with the power. The other big problem they had with his teaching was that Jesus said that it is he who gives life. Uh, The crowd, many of them will have wanted to uh, get this good life or this eternal life or earn their standing before God by their own good works. They absolutely loved to be able to look at a different list of laws that they had kept or tried to keep pretty well and said, yes, I'm pretty good at this whole thing. God uh, is right to love me because I'm so good. They wanted to do that, and there's something uh, so powerful about being able to exalt yourself like that because it also gives you the power to put others down. Uh, If the Jewish people or the Pharisees uh, thought that they were better than everyone else, they could stand up here while everyone else was down here. They would have all that power, and to God they could say, you need to love me because I'm special. Jesus is saying absolutely none of that counts. Jesus is saying this life This eternal life, this standing before God, is not given by that, it is only given by him. In verse 63, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Their best efforts do nothing to give them life. It would be like uh, turning up to the Ritz for a five-course meal and bringing with you a frozen dessert from Aldi so, so that you could think you could make a contribution. That contribution is meaningless. We are so tempted and so uh, want to bring something to God, something that we can uh, show him to make him love us a little more. We may find it easy to accept that we are only saved by grace alone. But we might so wish that we could just top that up a little bit to feel a little better about ourselves. But our very best efforts, like an Audi cake to the Ritz, are absolutely nothing. It is only Jesus, by the Spirit, who can give life to us. Those two objections they had, that this Jesus that is standing before them, weak as he was, was the Son of Man who would come in glory, and that it is Jesus alone who gives life. And so verse 66, we see in response to that, still, they walk away. 
After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This verse 68 is the central hope of our passage. That Christ alone contains the words of eternal life. And yet the crowd that deserted Jesus sought to find those words somewhere else. But if we can say with Peter that it is only Jesus who contains the words of eternal life, then naturally everything else contains words that lead to death. If life is only found in Jesus, then all else just leads to death. But there are so many things in this life that will offer so much, that will promise so much. There'll be uh, words that we hear that say, if you just do this, then you will have joy and happiness. So many adverts are trying to uh, tell us that our life will just be this little bit better if we buy this product. So many messages in society say uh, things like, if you, if you find that spouse, then your life will be the happiest it could be. If you hit that six-figure salary, then all your money troubles will go away. There are so many words out there that promise so much, but their ultimate destination, if they are not Jesus' words, is death. I wonder if you ever, uh, you ever get that sort of deep hunger inside yourself. Uh, you just haven't been able to eat for uh, a while because you're busy or whatever. Uh, and then you're too tired, basically, to cook. And so what you end up doing is just popping along to McDonald's. And you stuff your face and stuff your face. And for a moment, it feels really good. This feels like the best day ever. But quickly afterwards, you realize there's still a salty taste in my mouth that isn't that pleasant. I feel a little bit bloated. I'm poorer. And it's not a good deal. McDonald's promises so much and yet actually delivers so little after the first couple of minutes. All these things that tempt us in life will offer us so much. They'll say, this is what you want, but they will fail and they will lead to death. Now think back to uh, one of the first stories we have in the Bible. The serpent uh, seeing Adam and Eve tempts them. Uh, says, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. Promises so much. And yet those words just lead to death when they accept them. Peter realizes it is only Jesus who contains the words of eternal life. Those words that lead to death, it's not just a case of trusting in the wrong thing but it is a case that trusting in the wrong thing is our sin. And so we need to ask the question, does our sin actually satisfy and give the satisfaction it promises that it will? Does the end of a bottle of alcohol actually give that release that we are looking for? Does that addiction to pornography really give the satisfaction in life that we are so desperate for? Does our greed really give us the happiness through these material things that we are so desirous of? Or does ultimately it fail? Now, there are so many things in this world that, uh, that will not just be these fleeting pleasures, but will be things that last for a long time. 
Maybe we will uh, be able to accumulate enough stuff and enough people in our lives that we could be satisfied maybe until the day that we die. Not many have done it, but I'm sure it's possible. But even still, at best, those would just be words of earthly life that have absolutely no comparison to words of eternal life. The best the world can offer is 60, 70 years of happiness. But in Jesus Christ, uh, there is the offer of eternal life. That is life knowing Jesus Christ with him forever. And God alone is the one who gives us that life. When we are in that place of following these words that promise so much but fail, when we are in that place of words that lead to death, it is there that Jesus meets us with these words of life. It is not that we first have to run away from all of these things, but to us who are still struggling with those things, Jesus comes to us. And that that death that we are on the road for, heading towards because of our sin, is instead died by Jesus Christ. That while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And so God gives us life through the death of his son. And so we receive the words of eternal life. And if we're going to receive words of eternal life, whom better to hear them from than the one who conquered death himself? Uh, Through friends uh, and also some work things, I meet a lot of students or uh, other young folks across Aberdeen. Whenever we make the connection uh, that I go to Hillview Community Church, there's one name that above all other names they seem to recognize within Hillview. And that is Lindsay Clark. Uh, And so I meet a lot of students, uh, Christian students, and they say, oh yeah, Lindsay taught me to sing. Or Lindsay taught me to play the piano. Uh, This is not an advert for Lindsay as a piano teacher. (laughs) But she's really good at it. Uh, We know that uh, from listening to her play and sing this morning. If we wanted to go and learn the piano or learn to sing, Lindsay would be a good shout for who to go to. Uh, She's qualified to do it. If we want to know where to find life or find eternal life, then going to a man who died and stayed dead would be absolutely no use. But we don't go to a man who died and stayed dead. We go to a man who died but came back to life. A man who died, and as we heard again on Monday, defeated death, removed the sting of death, was raised to new life. If we're going to go to anybody to find words of how to live life, of what life is all about, we would go to Jesus. And what are these words of eternal life? If we see that it is only Jesus who offers them, what does he actually say? Well, the Gospel of John is full of them. We've heard some already as we've been going through. We heard earlier in John 6, Jesus say that he is the bread of life. And so we are to feast on him. I will see later on in John 14, he'll say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I will see in John 11, he'll say that he is the resurrection and the life. This eternal life, these words of eternal life uh, that he offers, is not some checklist to earn eternal life, it is himself. This is how Jesus describes eternal life in John 17. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
Eternal life means forever knowing Jesus. Not just life that goes on and on and on, but knowing Jesus Christ. Which means for all of us, eternal life does not just start the day that we die here. It starts when we can say that we know Jesus Christ. And whether that is something that you have decided to do before, or it is something you are deciding to do daily, that invitation comes again and again to you. No matter how long you seem to be listening uh, to these words that lead to death, the invitation from Jesus comes again and again. You who are looking for life, come and find life in me, Jesus Christ. Come and know me. Jesus Christ himself has the words of eternal life. No other words will satisfy. All other words lead to death. But he who gives life invites you this morning and each day to find eternal life in him. And then we will look forward to that reality of what is shared in Daniel 7. We'll see the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself, coming on the clouds in glory, receiving all dominion and power and glory, because he was raised and he will raise us too. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that you give us eternal life. That is a life knowing Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you that that is a gift we could not earn or add to. Thank you that it comes through his death on the cross. Thank you that we can trust that there is eternal life in him because he conquered death. And that he now sits on the throne receiving all praise and glory and honor. And Lord, we look forward to the time of spending eternity with you. Lord, when we are so tempted uh, to to head down uh, roads that lead to death, Lord, please snatch us off that path. Make us listen again to these words of life that you offer. And would we trust in them? Lord, we thank you so much that this week billions of people have heard these words of eternal life. Lord, we pray that they will have caused people to be born again. That there will be people this week who have gone from death to life because they have heard of who Jesus is. Would there be people across the world uh, making those decisions and would there be people in this church and in this city too? Raised to new life in Jesus' name. Amen.